All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Parents are frustrated about what is going on within their public schools, within higher education. They're realizing that they're sending their kids off to these institutions and their kids are coming back believing things that either completely contradict what they've been taught at home. But more than that, what's actually going on, I believe, is that in many cases, conservative parents are actually contributing to the problems that they're seeing with respect to their kids. It can't all be blamed on the education system. We're going to actually go into the specifics of what I mean by that. Plus, we're going to equip you with the arguments that you need in order to raise kids that know what they believe, understand why they believe it, and are prepared to defend it. We're going to be talking about all that and more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. And if you find value in today's show, be sure to hit the like button. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's topic. We appreciate you listening and watching. All right. As always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a good guy, former Green Beret veteran and father of three teenagers. With me, as always, is my beautiful wife, keeper of the bees and homeschool mother, Tina. Hello, everyone. And we have our resident historian, someone who is also a student, managed to survive higher education and come out the other end even more conservative than he went in, Christian Hines. This is true. Hello. <laughs> and we can actually say the exact same yeah. thing mm -hmm. for our producer, Nicholas Hamilton. It's rarity. It is a rarity, and yet somehow you guys did that, and we're hoping that today you're actually going to provide some insight on how that was possible. Now, Hamilton, I'm not going to give you as much credit. You went to Liberty. Sure. So that's 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 a little bit more of a conservative uh, environment. But Christian went to JMU, not exactly a bastion of conservatism these days. No, but it's no UVA. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but you were also a political science major, which is not exactly known for, again, I mean, you, you study political science from, like, like, what is it, one perspective, and then the other side is, and here's what not to believe. Uh, well, what's interesting is that the political science department at JMU, it's become much more liberal lately. But when I was there, um, uh, one of the heads of the political science department at JMU was actually the former Republican minority leader in the Virginia House of Delegates. Mm. So, um, th th I would say that there was a bit of an ideological balance somewhat. We're talking about universities here, so it wasn't like even 50-50, but it was more, it was like 75-25 uh, liberal to conservative. 75, 25. Okay. So that's interesting. And the reason why is because I was, I was looking at, um, some recent studies, Ted talks and things like that, discussing bias at the universities. Right. And, and it's interesting because there's some people now coming out there going, yeah, there's all this talk about liberal bias in the universities, but is that true when you, when you really get down there and you look at the data, can we prove it? Yes. Can we prove it? Uh, and it turns out, yeah, yeah, we can. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that comes as a shock to nobody. But I did find something that was specifically, I, I, I thought, interesting. Um, 
because here, here's what it showed. And, and this goes off of what they call the uh, HERI. So that's Higher Education Research Institute, right? This is based out of UCLA, all right? So we're not talking about like the Heritage Foundation. And here was the study that they conducted. And this is in an article by the American Enterprise Institute. It goes, the HERI approach uh, that asked how many faculty members self-identify across the political spectrum, right? And so here's what it did. It says, this is from the article, it powerfully shows that the number of faculty on the right is far outweighed by those who identify as moderate or on the left, right? In 1989 to 1990, um, when HERI first fielded this survey, 42% of faculty identified as being on the left, 40% self-identified as being on the mo or being moderate, and 18% were on the right, okay? So what they're pointing out is this was back in 1990, 1990, 42% of faculty identified as being on the left, 40% moderate, 18% on the right. Now, that is in no way an accurate reflection of what American society is. So no. right off the bat. If you are if you were to compare that to like a U.S. state in terms yeah. of like partisan affiliation, you're looking at something like Rhode Island yeah. or Delaware. Yeah. I mean, even then, I'm not even sure you would, you would get that. I, I mean, you would have to go to an urban area to get something where you know, 82% of the population is either center or center left and only 18%. Well, the reason I say that is because at least in the nineties, it wasn't an absolute majority of people that were college professors that identified as being on the, not even moderate. And keep in mind that moderates tend to break about two to one for Democrats in elections. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of the people that claim to be moderates are, are really more center left. They just, they want to appear objective. So that was 1990. So almost three decades later, 2016, 2017, same HERI found that 60% of the faculty identified as either far left or liberal compared to just 12% being conservative or on the far right. So, the so ratio, for a comparison, yeah. Um, now we've moved from say, you know, so like in 1990, you know, you could say that the average university probably, if it was a state, like I said, I would argue would be about Rhode Island. Now, you're like looking at like downtown Boston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and, and the crazy part is if you look at the population as a whole, so 31% of Americans state that they are conservative or very conservative, 43% are moderate, and 24% identify as liberal or being very liberal. So the population is a, a lot more, you know, centered, uh, but it tends to tilt more toward the conservative side. Our universities are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly liberal. And, and I would even go to say that when we talk about liberal, there, there's this common idea that, oh, I've got my liberal friend that, you know, what that means is that, oh, they think social security is kind of a good idea and that rich people should pay more in taxes. But no, that's, that's not what we're talking about when we're, we're talking about the heads of some of these departments. And what was crazy is that you went into some of these other studies and what you found out is that if you thought the professors were liberal, go look at the administrators. Sure. I mean, that was even worse. And they're the ones essentially setting policy. So again, one of the things that has kind of confused me is why so many parents are, you know, they're concerned about what their kids believe. They're concerned about their kids obviously getting a good education or whatnot, but then they're taking out a second mortgage to send their child to an institution that is doing everything within their power to actually modify the way their child looks at the entire world. And, and that's, that's difficult for me to wrap my, my brain around. I mean, again, I understand the impulse for a parent to want to be able to set their kids up for success economically, but at a time when we're looking at like skyrocketing, you know, college debt 
and a number of degrees, which will never get you a decent job or never allow you to pay back that debt. It, it baffles my mind on why conservative parents continue to do this. Yeah. I mean, the counter argument is, is that, you know, from some people on the left, I've heard this, this phrase before that, well, reality has a liberal bias. <laughs> um, and this, this is very true. Was that said by somebody with a gender studies degree that can't get a job? I, I can't. <laughs> I, I've heard the phrase being used by multiple people on yeah. the left. But as somebody who is not too far removed from both the public school system and the university system, I graduated from JMU in December 2015, and I graduated from high school in 2012. So, um, man, it was 10 years ago. Now that I think about it, it was a while. No, but like in all seriousness, um, in all seriousness um, the university system – I noticed a shift while I was there. So I, I was in college from 2012 to, I graduated a semester early to actually go work for you. Yeah. Um, and I noticed from 2012 to 2015, this was, you know, the Obama era, the second half of the Obama era. Yeah. You know, I was a freshman when he got reelected. And I started noticing a shift within the university system, but it wasn't within the professors. It was within the student, the body. student body. It was within the student body. The, the professors were as liberal as I'd always, you know, yeah. remember them. My father is also a college professor. So I, I have a little bit more experience with professors beyond just my, my three and a half years getting my bachelor's degree. So I haven't really personally noticed that the instructors are getting more liberal. Yeah. I mean, they, they clearly have been based on the data that you brought up, at least from the 90s to yeah. around the time that I was in school. But the thing that I noticed was the students were getting way more radical yeah. on the left, and way that, more radical. Was that your experience too, even at Liberty? Uh, the ones who were Democrats or on, on the left became even more yeah. on the left than they were before. Now, is it, now again, this is, we're talking about 2016 timeframe that you sure. guys would have been, what, like? I graduated from Liberty in 17. 17. And I graduated December 15. Yeah, yeah. So, we are talking about not only Obama, but we're also talking about going into Trump. Oh, Trump, Trump. was running by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, are you insinuating that Trump coming on the scene had something to do with that? I'm no, I'm asking. I don't I'm think asking. I don't think that's what what caused it. Yeah. I think it was Bernie running that caused oh, it. Oh, okay. Because in in so like I I graduated in the fall and well really winter of 2015 right before the Iowa caucus in New Hampshire primary for the 2016 election. And Yes, there was all this infighting on the, you know, because we're all on the right. So, like, we think about, you know, Republican primaries. But, yeah. you know, there were very, very few Republicans at JMU. I mean, it, you know, we had a small, you know, college Republicans group. But most people were Democrats. Yeah. You know, not just the professors, but the student body as well. They were all fixated on the primary between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And gotcha. every single one of them, every single one of them were Bernie supporters. Gotcha. That's interesting. That's a, Well, and I, I think... I think there's also something, so obviously you have that dynamic factoring into it. The other thing I started to look at, because again, there, there's this natural inclination that of course, higher education is like overwhelmingly liberal. And I think parents kind of think, yeah, but you know what you're getting. And I, I want my kid to, you know, be a lawyer or a doctor or whatnot. And you got to get a degree for that. So of course I'm going to, you know, again, that kind of answers my question earlier on like, why do conservative parents take out a second mortgage to pay for their kids to go to an institution that is teaching their kid to hate them? Right? Change their values. Yeah. It's well, because yeah, you got to get a college degree in order to be economically successful, right? Well, that's, that's not true anymore. Thankfully. I, I, I agree. Totally agree. But that is still the mindset. Like when I was growing up, um, teen, I bet you had the same, my parents were adamant, um, 
neither my mom or my dad had, I mean, both of them, my dad was a homicide detective. My mom was a registered nurse, but neither of them had a bachelor's degree. And they were adamant that no matter what I did with my life, I be anything you want, but you have to get a bachelor's degree. I mean, they were adamant about it. I mean, I didn't get one until I was 32, but, <laughs> um, but that, I think that was kind of that generational mindset. My dad was very, um, for obvious reasons, he's a college professor yeah, himself. Yeah. He's got a PhD and, yeah. and his dad has a PhD as well. Yeah. So it was kind of like, Christian, you're gonna get, you know, not just a bachelor's, but a master's and oh. a PhD. I mean, I'm actually working on getting a master's <laughs> yeah. right now. So I am doing it ironically enough. Drink this is going to be a very <laughs> awkward conversation because I, I know what's going to happen today is we're going to talk about everything that is wrong within the public education system and not just higher education, but, but grade school as yeah. well, you know, high school and middle school and elementary school. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the message is, is it, you were kind of hinting at it. Why are people sending their kids to institutions that are teaching them to hate everything that their parents believe? And so it's, in some well, ways you could argue that it's a bit hypocritical for me to make that argument because I'm trying to get a master's right now. But to your point, I know what I'm getting into. And you're also yeah. paying for it yourself. That's true. I'm yeah. also paying for it myself. And when I went to college, I walked out being more conservative. Yeah. Um, well, than and, when I went into it. And that kind of leads me into this, this second point, right? Is that because you were all talking about it, it's not that you didn't feel that the professors had changed all that much as much as it was the student body had changed. And so I started to ask the question, well, okay, if everyone kind of knows what higher education is and everyone knows it's, it's, it's liberal, how many parents believe that about their local public school? And I think most parents have this idea that, oh yeah, well, I'm sure you know, the, the public schools are a little bit more left-wing than they're conservative, but it's nothing like the universities. Let's go ahead and check. So I went there and I was looking at this, um, what was it? It was the Verdant Labs. Um, so the Washington Post reported on research conducted by Verdant Labs using political contribution data on the Democrat-Republican divide based on job type. And we're talking about within the schools right now. And here's what we found. We're not talking about, you know, just higher education now. Now we're talking about... Um, you know, elementary school, high school, everything else. He goes, and, and this is from the article. It says, while it's unsurprising that among like actors and actresses, there are 90 Democrats for every 10 Republicans, many would be amazed to discover that teachers are actually as liberal or even more so than those in Hollywood. Wow. All right. And, here, and here's what they base that off of, right? Among English teachers, there are 97 Democrats for every three Republicans with the proportion being even more one-sided among health teachers with 99 Democrats for every one Republican. So we, you know, we're having all this, this argument about, you know, sex education within our schools right now. And you think about like, okay, well, which, which teachers are going to be responsible for doing that? He goes, now you might think, okay, but math and science will be different. And you know what? You'd be right. Math and science was different. He goes, Republicans among math and science teachers or, or among high school teachers overall, there are uh, 87 Democrats for every 13 Republicans. Oh, much more balanced. Yeah, so in, Eng so in English, 97 Democrats for three Republicans. In math and science, you get 13 Republicans for every 87 Democrats. That's in your public school. We're, we're not talking about higher education more. The school that you are required by law to pay taxes for, to send your children to by law, unless you want to run afoul of truancy laws, Okay, unless you can afford an alternative, right? That's the break. That's the generalized breakdown. Now, it, it could it be that this sampling size wasn't big enough, or this is you know overall wasn't high enough. Okay, maybe so. But what the article goes on to explain, and and this is the part that I, I thought was really interesting too, is 
how much of they were talking about a teacher 40 years ago in college. So we're not talking about two years ago with, you know, all the CRT and stuff like that. 40 years ago, they were talking about the California State University Dominguez uh, Hills School of Education, which is in Los Angeles. And they said, what was the teacher's training like? It's like, well, CSUDH ed school said that its philosophy was influenced by Brazilian leftist education philosopher, Paulo Freire, who the New York Times termed the foremost radical educator in the world. And he famously wrote the Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So this was, again, 40 years ago. The teachers that are in the classroom today, this is what they were being taught. Like, this is one of the most, you know, regularly assigned textbooks. Leftist in that context is probably just code for Marxist, to be honest. Yes. Because well, yeah. the left in Brazil are oh, yeah. just Marxists. Yes. Yes, they're not. They're not leftists in the sense of like the way that we think of leftists in say like Boulder, Colorado. No, um, we're, we're not talking about somebody that is pro LGBTQ and wants pot to be no, no, no. Legal. It's straight like, up. That's not Marxist. what we're talking about. Well, and, and it's I'm, I'm reading this right here. Apparently, a critique of global capitalism and its relationship to patriarchy, homophobia, and racism is fundamental to the transformative politics of classroom democracy. There's that word again, by the way, democracy. democracy. Yeah. Well, and, and again, this is what, this is the part that I know Tina and I, we, we've talked to people about this before when we've talked about educating our kids and, and, and raising your kids. And we said, well, look, do you, do you understand what is going on, you know, at your kid's elementary school? What, I don't think they the were until recently. No, they weren't. Thanks, and, and even thank now. Thank God for libs of TikTok. <laughs> well, and, and not just libs of TikTok, but I mean, I think they've done an excellent job. Um, and, and what Libs of TikTok has done such a good job of doing is, you know, they, everybody's pissed at Libs of TikTok on the left right now. And I'm looking at them going, wait a second. Libs of TikTok exists to share publicly liberal videos. Publicly available content that is willingly yes. being posted by people. Yes. And literally the only thing that Libs of TikTok does is scroll through Twitter yeah. and pull and videos that, that mostly leftist educators. That's yeah. the trend that I've noticed with yeah. Libs of TikTok is that there's so much content from school teachers. Mm -hmm. We've watched some of them on this show before. Yeah. All that they're doing is sharing stuff that, that people themselves are putting out there in the public domain. And the left is having an absolute meltdown. Oh, yeah. But they're not having a meltdown because there's anything disingenuous that's being shared. They're having a meltdown because Libs of TikTok is exposing what's happening in the public school system. And to your point, I don't think that most parents until probably, I'm going to guess like maybe two years ago, maybe around the time of the pandemic beginning, actually realized what was happening in their public school system. But after they shut down the public schools and then the teachers unions fought tooth and nail to keep them shut down yeah. and then test scores plummeted, you know, illiteracy rates went through the roof. Um, you know, two years worth of education for people in elementary or middle or high school was completely wiped out and they didn't learn anything. And now we have a yeah. whole generation in Gen X or sorry, not Gen X, Gen Z that are woefully behind. A lot of parents realized that the way that the public school system is operating is not to the advantage of their children. It's to the advantage of teachers unions and Democratic politicians. And then when they finally reopened the schools, we got all of this sort of stuff that is being just constantly. It feels like almost every single day that something is in the news. Well, parents, parents used to be able to trust that if they were going to send their child off to school, I mean, again, there, there might be certain biases somewhat, but I it was generally- I think they believed well, they could trust. Yeah, they believed they could trust, but it was it was generally, they're going to learn math, they're going to learn basic English, they're going to learn basic science, they're going to learn basic history. You know, that, that's that's what they're being taught. 
I think another big thing that happened during the pandemic is that you had all of the Zoom classrooms. And so now all of a sudden, classrooms are being recorded. Parents are seeing and overhearing things. And imagine being a parent sitting in the other room overhearing some of the stuff that's going on. I'm like, wait, what What did you just say to my child? Well, not only that, you also had situations where whatever was in the background behind the child yeah. could get the family turned in. Yeah. So if there was, say, a gun on the wall, like hanging because yeah. it's your antique, you know, grandfather's yeah. old antique gun, and it's probably not even working, um, that, that now, now you have the police showing up at the house. Yeah. And well, it, it, it was it, parents, yeah. parents for the first time, I think, were exposed to what was starting to happen within the classroom. And they started to ask more questions. And what we saw in Virginia, and I'm going to be later tonight, I'm going to be up in Loudoun County talking about school choice. What parents found out is when they started to ask these questions like, wait, what, what is this? Why is this going on? The first thing they got told was, well, that's not really happening. Like, uh, no, it is happening. I'm watching it on my kid's Zoom classroom. Like, well, you're a bigot. Wait a second. Five seconds ago, this wasn't happening. Now, if I don't like love that this is happening, I'm a bigot. Well, they're also trying to say that, oh, CRT is just history. It's just history lessons about, you know, the plight of the minority. History. It And it's not just yeah. history. It's interwoven into every subject. And well, it's it, it's built up to basically say this topic is more white and that topic is less white and this is for you and this is not for you. And it just slices up the, the, the kids based on their demographic. Well, now, and what we saw, and, and we even saw in Idaho, even when state legislatures, because this is the important part, because a lot of parents got mad about this and you know, they, they made their frustration heard through the ballot box. And, and now they're saying, they go, well, why don't we have more change taking place? And it's amazing because there was a video that came out in Idaho and Idaho, I mean, that's as ruby red as it gets for a state. And in Idaho, they actually passed legislation saying, look, you can't push this radical agenda. It's not like they said, don't push this agenda, push our agenda. They just said, no, don't push any agenda. And then they went undercover and they started talking to teachers, administrators, and everything else. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're not allowed to say that anymore. So we say this. The bottom line was is that the, the establishment, the public school establishment said, pass whatever you want. We're going to do what we want. Because they all got educated by higher institutions of higher education that have been pushing this stuff for 40 years. But here's the part that I think is really important. Because a lot of parents have said, okay, I, I get it. I'm, I'm mad at what higher education is doing. I'm mad at what public school is doing. And so some parents have tried to, you know, they've gotten more involved, more active within politics, or maybe more active within their, their local schools and whatnot. But I, here's a part that I find concerning. I, I used to I used to teach at a homeschool co-op. I had conversations with students, had conversations with parents. And one of the things that I, I think is needs to be addressed is that if parents think that if they just vote differently, this is going to change, it isn't. And conservative parents also need to recognize that there are certain things that they're doing within their own household that are actually contributing to their kids becoming more left-leaning. Let's get into that because that's a touchy subject. Uh, we're going to go to our Making the Argument segment, which is how do conservative parents contribute to the leftist takeover of their kids? We've got four questions here. We'll start out with this. So why do young people tend to embrace, embrace leftism or progressivism? 
<laughs> I mean, I, I think because it, that's the default position for young people. Well, I, I think you no, know, I, so, I don't think it's just default for young people. When you look at the classroom makeup or or who's controlling the education, I think that's where we get our answer. Oh no, no, well, there, there's definitely contributing factors that magnify that. But what I mean by that's the default position is you can go all throughout history and younger people have not had life experiences that their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents have. And usually you end up, ha I mean, speaking as somebody who is still relatively young, usually younger people have not yet had the chance to learn from, say, the lessons of history. And so a lot of ideas can be thrown around in younger circles. You know, they're, they're always, they're very idealistic, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. they're very idealistic. They want to change the world. They want to make it better. A lot of these motivations aren't inherently bad, but younger people tend to think that, you know, they have reinvented the wheel, so to speak. And they haven't really. They, it's just that they've rediscovered Marx. <laughs> and I, Well, and it, Lee, Lee Carter, who is a former... Delegate, or former delegate in Virginia. Oh, you mean poor me, Lee? Poor me, Lee. Okay. <laughs> who, by the way, is and who was who was very proud of being the only socialist elected within a Southern legislature. Um, who, by the way, is now all over Twitter talking about how happy he is about this land he just bought. I'm like, whoa, 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 there, Marxist. What do you mean you own <laughs> property? But anyway, Lee. Lee Carter and I kind of went back and forth on the House floor on this because Lee Carter was defending socialism because Delegate Jason Miros, who's now our Attorney General in Virginia, he got up and said, I, I can't believe the Democratic Party is promoting Bernie Sanders. The guy's not even a Democrat. He's a socialist. And Lee got furious. Like, I'm a socialist too. And then he started to explain socialism or leftism. And the way he explained it is, is, you know, we want affordable housing and we want living wages and we want people to have access to quality health care and we want, you know, people to be able to love who they want to love. And I'm sitting there going, nothing you just talked about is socialism. Nothing you just talked about is even leftism. What you just described was a, a series of outcomes that everybody on the planet wants. Oh, we want food and shelter and health care and to be able to, you know, make a living. Okay. Yeah. No. So is everybody else. No kidding, Sherlock. The question is: Is how do you plan to do it? Oh well, the way we plan to do it is by nationalizing all industry and making a overly powerful government that can intervene into every aspect of your life. Oh well, it doesn't sound so cool then, does it? Mm -hmm. All right. But if if you're if you're if you're a kid, right, or or you're younger, and you're and you see somebody that needs help, or you have a friend whose mom is sick, well, of course your your inclination is well, we've got to help them and. Again, you're, you're a kid. You're used to being around authority figures, right? Your parents, you're, you're kind of told what to do. You don't have a great deal of freedom over your own life. And so the, the solution as a child is usually when something bad happens, it's what can an authority figure do? Go to the authorities. Yeah, what can an authority sure. figure do to solve this? And the left is sitting there going, you know what? We could, the government could do this or the government could do that. And you should write your congressman or woman and, and we should do that. So I, I think there's a natural inclination toward leftism because leftism offers some rather simple solutions to the world's problems. And that is with more government power and with more government spending and with more government programs, we could eradicate these problems that you see. And so we're the people that want to do that. And those, those mean guys wow. over on the right, <laughs> those mean guys over on the right, they don't want to do that. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that yes, leftism offers these solutions, but 
The point is your children are being offered leftism as a solution to every problem by somebody. Yeah. And if you may be the most conservative family in the world, but if, if you send your kids somewhere for eight or nine hours of the day, I mean, one of the reasons why we chose to homeschool, one of the big reasons was that I would put my kids on the bus at 730 in the morning. And I wouldn't see them again until 4.45 in the evening. And that gave us time to give them some dinner. Mm -hmm. And then they would get to do their two hours of homework. Mm -hmm. How much time did I really get with my kids? How much time did I really? And if you're packing your kids full of every sport you can think of and every, and I'm not saying sports are bad, but I am saying that that isn't, it, it is, that doesn't count as your time pouring into your child as far as as the um worldview goes it you're, maybe it, while you're driving to the game or whatever but i mean so so then they've got sports practice in the evening and then they've got sports all weekend what time do you actually have mm-hmm. to share your worldview with your child in a non-prescriptive way well and i think you know again i, I think to answer like to answer that question, because I, I agree with all that. I think to answer that question is like the, the reason why there's a bent toward it is because they, they offer very, very easy solutions to incredibly complex problems. And again, when you're a child, you are living in a world where everybody else is an authority figure, your parents, your teachers, your government, the police, whatever else. So there's this natural inclination to think if there's a problem, an authority figure solves it. And what they're, what progressivism is offering is this kind of all-knowing collective authority figure that's going to solve your problems. Well, Nick, do you think conservative parents are just failing to make a good enough case for their values? I mean, to some degree, yes, but I think it's, it's actually worse than that. Okay. Right. And this is what I, this is kind of, Tina and I have talked a lot about this before. Uh, We actually did a podcast, gosh, almost a year ago where we talked about some of the issues with this, but it, it's it's one thing. I think a lot of conservative parents say, look, I'm busy. I got to work. I got to do all these other things. I know I need to spend more time with my kids. I know I need to talk to them about important issues. But then when they do make the time to talk about important issues, it's prescription, right? It's you believe this because we believe this. You believe this because this is right. Because I said so. Or because I said so, right? That's not the way you were raised. Um, and and whether it's their faith, like whether it's their their theology or whether it's their politics or just their kind of general values about the world, typically I think a lot of parents think that the way that you're going to train your kids or educate your kids is by telling them what, what you believe and what why they better believe it. And when you do that, you, you probably think, oh, I'm teaching my kids, you know, the you know, good values and good policies. And no, what you're teaching your kids, especially what you're teaching your kids is an author, another authority structure because a lot of times as kids start to grow up and as they start to ask more questions, their first step is usually to come to their parent and start asking why, why do you believe that? Then all of a sudden they go into a public school system that is teaching them the exact opposite in certain respects and they come home and they ask why. And if the parent's response is to say, because I said so, or that's not how you were raised, or I don't care what you know your teacher said, this is what we believe in this house then they go back into a different environment, the school environment. And what you've taught them is if you regurgitate what the authority figure tells you to regurgitate, you will be rewarded, right? There will be peace in the home. You get dessert, right? You can go hang out with your friends, whatever it is. And if you contradict or you ask questions about what the authority figure says, 
there will be consequences. There will be punishment. There will be hostility. So all you really taught your kid was don't question authority. Okay, well, what happens when you're not the authority figure and instead it's the teacher or it's the college professor or it's their peers? And oh, by the way, not only are they not being you know hostile toward them when they ask questions, but they're actually being inviting and welcoming. They're offering answers. And they're, they're offering answers More complex to ways to think and yes. deeper meaning. And, um, and it all kind of feeds into why your parents are dinosaurs who are stuck in the past. But and you, they're probably racist bigots. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Because when when you have such a a leaning um in that authority position. So y- you lean really far to the left and you have authority over these kids. You're able to teach them social studies, history, you know, English, everything else from the perspective of the right is bad and the left is good. Mm-hmm. And now your parents aren't giving you any answers. They're just saying, because I said so. And you know, my kid, my parents are on the right. Yeah. Well, then your leftist teacher has already prepped the objective by skewing everything they teach to your kid to the left. And I, don't tell me they're not doing this. You're going to have to come at me with facts in the comments if you're going to say yeah. they're, that they're not doing this. Um, but you know, so they've already prepped the objective. So what that does in the child's mind is it says my parent is an old dinosaur bigot, right wing nut job. And my teacher is really interesting and they understand these things and they'll let me ask the questions. And I mean, gosh, how many kids graduate from, from elementary school into high school and they want to go into teaching? Mm-hmm. And the reason they want to be a teacher is because the most influential person in their life has been their teachers. Yeah, It wasn't their parents. It was their teachers. Right. One, and I think that this goes to, there's another component here, and this is where it gets controversial. I don't think the emphasis on the morality surrounding sex is by accident. I don't think it's by accident because, and you, you used to see this a lot within the university setting. So obviously, you know, I, I come from a Christian background. That's my faith. That's right. what I believe. And so there, there's a certain degree of objective morality associated with all of this. And within our current culture, it can be hard to live by that morality. Can be. And to defend that morality, especially when, when everyone else is saying, if it feels good, do it. Right. And you're the one person saying no, that there's there's certain boundaries associated with these things. So I, I want I want to keep something in mind. When we're talking about an environment to where they're not only questioning what a parent believes or what they've been taught, but they're taking it a step further to say that this sort of belief system is rooted in bigotry or ignorance or sexism or things like that. All right. There's a battle that's going on in the kid's mind because the kid knows their parents and they probably like their parents, right? And they don't think their parents are bad people. And one of the changes that you see taking place in in the moral component, the questioning, is by offering them something that everyone's interested in, right? But, But offering it to them at this early age, this idea of rethinking about things like sex or identity or getting their value through sex and identity. Um, again, used to be something in college. 
But now all of a sudden we're in this dynamic where it's like, well, no, no, no. If you have questions about these things or you feel this certain way or you want to experiment, well, you know, that's just that's just you taking control of your own body and experiencing these wonderful things. And oh, and it's this ideology that children children are sexual beings, and to say that they're not is it's is just bigoted. horrendous. And I mean, children are not sexual beings. No, well, they are not. But I but I think it's the reason why I think this is so important. And the reason why I don't you know again, I'm I'm not sitting here saying this is some grand master plan for every teacher. I am saying that there are you know. Going back to the John Dewey days and everything else, I am saying that there does seem to have been this concerted effort to question the moral foundations that a lot of more conservative parents have raised their kids with. And one of the ways that they've torn that apart is by essentially saying that what your parents taught you is incorrect. And then it was immoral. And now it's, and if you change your beliefs, you get to do all of this stuff that your parents told you not to do with respect to drinking, with respect to drugs, with respect to sex and experimentation. And we're your family now. Yes. Boy, we just talked about grooming, didn't we? And, we just and that's that. what it sounds like. And what's really interesting is that recently, um, Rhode Island Teachers Union and the ACLU came out to object a bill that outlaws sex with students. <laughs> so um, they, they, they came out. Let me just say that one more time. Yeah, say that They one more came time. out against a bill that outlawed sex with students from, you know, it was the didn't, a, yeah. it under, told, under 18, ACLU. They, um, it outlawed sex with students by any, you know, teacher or, or administrator. Member, yeah. And so apparently uh, the, they say, they say the reason they came out against it is, is actually not for that reason. It's because it singled out teachers and administrators. And, and we just think that it should be everybody because I mean, it sounds to me like they're saying if we can't have sex with students, then no one should get to have sex with students, (laughs) which is horrible. And, and I'm, I'm just looking at this going, how about we start with, you can't have sex with students. Let's just start there. And yeah, we can go ahead and expand it if you would like, but at least let's start with that. And, and one of the, one of the issues is that there is this absolute obsession with students and sex and gender and yeah. and all of these things and i just want to know why aren't why it, why is reading writing and arithmetic no longer the focus focus of of education well in this and this goes back this goes back to the answer to the question right um are conservative parents just failing to make a good case for their values and the answer is partially yes i i, I do think they are in part because they don't understand the other influence in their kids' lives. And it's not just the education system. It's also popular culture. It's what you watch on Netflix. It's the music that you listen to. I mean, go listen to the lyrics at some point and, and then just understand how overly sexualized your kids are, are you know, becoming. And then the other component is, is that when the parent, when the conservative parent does start to become aware of it, their response is not to sit down and actually have in-depth conversations with their kids about why they believe the things they do. It's to prescribe to their kids. That's not what we believe. I told you this. And so you're, you're, you're already sowing the seeds for the rejection and, and what they will feel is the absolute justified rejection of what you are telling them because you're not explaining it to them. You're not teaching them. You're dictating to them. And that actually goes for just standing there lecturing them at the same time. You know, you can go ahead and tell them all the different things you believe and why you believe it. But if it's coming at them as a lecture and it's not 
It's not a back and forth conversation where you're asking them questions and you're having them process it in their mind for themselves and arrive at the correct uh, conclusion for themselves. Yeah. When they when they will when they arrive at, at a conclusion for themselves, that's when they really own it, mm-hmm. and that's when it's no longer prescribed by mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And so, make them think, make them process it, have the deeper conversation. And I feel like a lot of times parents are afraid of these conversations because I feel, I think some folks really struggle to understand themselves why they believe what they believe, mm-hmm. and I. I feel like there's maybe a fear under the surface um, that thinks, well, what if my kid asks too difficult of a question and I yeah. can't answer it? And what, what should the parent do in that situation? Yeah. What what should what should we do? Like uh, it kind of go into. Well, I, I'll, I, I'll let you go into that. So we, yeah, we um, this is something I've talked to other parents before about, and and it's something that I've I've really tried to practice. Right, like I have a 19 year old, a 16 year old, and a 14 year old. Um, and so we, we've, we're at different stages of these conversations, but all of my kids are at the age where they are questioning things, um, to include the one, you know, my, my oldest daughter, you know, is very involved in theater. I don't know if you guys are aware of this theater, not a bastion of Christian and or conservative thought. No, but <laughs> apparently more conservative than public school teaching. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wow. But, but so she's in this environment where, you know, she had a lot of uh, questions and one of these you know, one of the things a lot of this perception that people have about homeschool parents and whatnot is that we're just sitting there trying to completely isolate our kids from any sort of idea that is is not our own. And what's funny about that to us is that obviously we're involved in politics. So we go to a lot of events. They see daddy at debates and everything else. They are constantly hearing the other side of these issues, whether it's through popular culture, whether it's through different events that we go to, whether it's just watching the engagement that we have. And one of the things that we made a point of doing is that when I would see one of my kids, especially when they're a little bit younger and they would like repeat verbatim something I had said, like they, they saw something maybe right. on, and they would just repeat verbatim something that I know they heard from me. I would stop them or Tina would stop them and be like, why do you think that? Yeah. And, and because we knew what they were really doing is, is that they were trying to show mommy and daddy that they heard what we were saying and they, they were saying it too, because my, but that wasn't good enough. And as they were getting older, we wanted to make sure that, well, look, I, I appreciate that, you know, I believe that. But why do you why do you think I believe that? That's how the conversation. Why do you think Daddy believes that? And we would have a conversation. Get them to dig in a little we'd bit. We get we get them to dig in, and a lot of times, uh, as they got older and they would say something, I would challenge them. Look, well, why do you believe that? Why do you think that's true? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? And so they got exposed to the questions that I know they're going to hear either in school, in college, in the workplace, popular. They got exposed to those questions. So when they hear them, it's not the first time that they've heard them. And whenever they did get posed a question or a scenario that they had not heard before, they always knew they could come home to us and they could ask a hard question. And our response was not going to be because I said so or because it'd be like, okay, well, let, let's look at the underlying presuppositions. Why did, why do you think they said that? Why do you think they believe this way? Why do you think, you know, you know, again, my daughter would come home from theater and be like, yeah, my, one of the directors basically just insinuated that, or just came right out and said that, you know, cops are the problem. I said, well, what did you say? She goes, well, you know, my grandfather was a homicide detective and, you know, I, I, you know, and she went through the process and she learned how to discuss it in an environment where it was her against, you know, the, the authority figure. Sure. And one of the things that we were, we were really big with our kids on was you, you have to be committed to truth 
not just comfort within your situation. And the only way you can foster that with your kids, and this is the part where it gets tough, it's when your child comes to you with something and they, I'll never forget when our oldest daughter did this. Daddy, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, honey, go ahead. Daddy, respectfully, I don't like the way you said this. And when your kids are reaching that transition point where it's no longer prescription, it's explanation, uh, but now they're at a point where they feel, they feel like they need to challenge you on something because something isn't adding up with respect to what you taught them and what you did. And they come to you in a respectful manner and they demonstrate why they think you were wrong on something. Could be a statement you made, could be a situation or how you handled it. And they're right, you better be prepared to tell them they're right. And I remember that first moment where every ounce of me wanted to be like, no, I'm, I'm the dad, right? I'm the authority figure in this house. But she was right and I was wrong. And, and by the grace of God, in that moment, I had the, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there were other moments where I screwed this up. But in, in that moment, I remember looking at her and being like, sweetheart, I want to, first of all, I want to thank you for coming to me so respectfully and asking to talk about this. You're right and I'm wrong. And I want you to understand that I know that. And the reason why that was so important was because I can tell my kids all day long, truth is more important than comfort. It's, it's more important to be you know, factually and morally correct on something than it is to just be in charge. If you win the debate, but you had to lie to do it, then you didn't win, right? You got to do it right. When they bring that back to you and you respond with, this is my house, you live under my roof, what you just told them is it's not about truth. It's mm-hmm. about authority. It's yeah. about power. And if this is all about power demographics, well, the left has got an answer for that. You won't be in power when your kid is 25. Nope. It, it, that, that's the pro- I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, because I think we're at the, the end of the most important point in this whole entire discussion here, which is why is this happening to such a rapid degree to so many young people? And parents are looking at their kids and being like, when did you become a Marxist? When did you? And, <laughs> yeah. and How did you get hijacked? Yeah. And, and, and it, the reason being is because, quite frankly, I feel like a lot of boomers and Gen Xers have raised millennials and Zoomers to be don't question authority. Mm-hmm. And when you're no longer that authority figure, I mean, the dynamic is going to be changed. And and we we were talking about this earlier with within the school system, but it is beyond the school system. Yeah. When you go in, you work for Disney. Yeah. And you yeah. or you go off. We've got a friend in Richmond that that uh that works in the insurance industry and his job is incredibly liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh yep. in, in, like like on it's so far to the left that we've joked about how he needs to start, you know, doing his own version of libs of TikTok basically. <laughs> yeah. But like that's something that that's worth considering is is that that power dynamic is not going to be there when your kid when your kid becomes eighteen under the you know the law is the law they are an adult at that point they might still be living at your house but they are an adult at some point and at some point they're going to be moving out and also be an adult and be you know uh, uh, you know in their twenties and thirties and by the time that they've gotten into their th- th- this is why it's not enough to just simply say, wait until they get married or wait until yeah. they get a job or wait until they move out or wait until they get their own house or their start own paying car taxes. or start paying yeah. taxes. Because we've seen this where people grow up and, you know, they're supposedly an adult at that point. And at that point, 
the ideology is baked in. Yeah. It's not yeah. that you'll just become more conservative when you get older. It's that ideology will become baked in and it'll become your worldview. Mm-hmm. Two scenarios. What should parents do when they've sent their child off to college? They're in the freshman, sophomore year, and they come back and they're noticing these, these you know, mindset changes. You know, how should a parent approach that after, at that point when their child is 19 or 20 years old? So I had, I had one of my former students, um, great student, incredibly intelligent. And she was off at college. This actually happened a couple of times. Um, she, this student, she was off at college and she called up Tina. And she said, I, I, I have a, a question and it had to do on the topic that I taught. It was, I was one of the classes I was teaching was Christian apologetics. She goes, I, I don't want to bother, you know, Mr. Freitas. I know he's doing this. And, and Tina said, no, 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 give him a call. I'm, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk with you. And so she, she calls me up and I was, I was leaving from Richmond on something. And, um, one of the things I could tell right off the bat was that this was something that the, the question that she had, it was a philosophical question, mm-hmm. but it had a deep and abiding impact on the way that she viewed the world. Can I mean, you share is, the question? The, the question was she had a she had a fellow student tell her that it was that he thought it was arrogant for her to believe that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Right, a basic core tenet of Christianity. Yeah. And um and I could tell two things. One, the professor and things that, that she had had, um, and and the instructors that she had. The, the answers that they had provided offered no solace to her on, on what she believed. And so this is something that, again, was fundamental to her worldview and was really starting to get her to question everything, everything. else, right, and, and on a significant level. And a lot of the people that, that she had tried to talk to about it had come back with prescription. It's like, well, this is the way we believe it. This wasn't the way you, you, know, you were taught, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, or you just need to read your Bible more. Yeah, and so she goes, I, I just, I just need to ask some questions. I said, okay. And so we, we went through the process and I said, well, first of all, first things first, don't feel bad that you're having doubts right now, right? Don't feel bad that you're having doubts right now. Thomas had doubts about yeah. Jesus, right? And he hung out with Jesus a lot on a very personal level, right? And he still had doubts. So stop, stop beating yourself up for having doubts. We can, we can, let's talk about this question. Let's talk about this. And, and we went through the whole process. And in this particular case, it was, it was just a process of sitting down and telling somebody, listening to their concerns, listening to the, why those concerns existed. Mm-hmm. And then talking about fundamental elements of truth. And this goes back to Christian's point too. This is not just simply a question of where a teacher is teaching your kid to, you know, love Bernie Sanders. There's actually been this revolution through postmodernism and deconstructionism within higher education where they've actually taught kids to challenge the entire concept of truth itself. And, and that's why what you're starting to see within educational circles is different than what you saw 40 years ago or 60 years ago or 80 years ago, right? Where they could just grow up, get a job, have married, have kids, and the next thing you know, they're conservatives again. Right? When they're when they're questioning the whole underpinning of of you know the existence of objective truth and objective morality, that's significant. Sure. And we had to go through this process of explaining, well, okay, when this person said this, right, were, were they rejecting the concept of truth itself? Well, no, no, they still believe that there's such a thing as truth. Oh, okay, so they just have a problem with your truth. Yes. Okay, why is it arrogant for you to believe in a particular truth that is exclusive, but it's not arrogant for them to believe in a truth that is potentially exclusive? Right. And, and we were going through this process of demonstrating logically why the whole, you know, really question that was posed to her or kind of this um, almost in an insulting manner, right? Like if you believe this, you're a bad person because you're being discriminatory. I said, well, do you realize that they're being just as discriminatory? 
What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, you believe that Jesus Christ, you, you believe the Christian faith is true, right? Okay, they believe it's false. Both of those beliefs are exclusionary. They just have different truth claims. So it, it's, it's, not, it's not mean or arrogant or discriminatory, you know, in an inappropriate way for you to believe one thing and then to believe something else. This is a question of which one of you is correct. It's the equivalent of Obi-Wan telling Anakin only a Sith deals in absolutes. Yes, which is itself an absolute statement, exactly. right? And, and so part of this... Um, I'm trying to remember what the original question was. Well, what do you do when you have a... Oh, so so part of the... Again, that was a long explanation. First thing that you do is actually sit there and listen to them explain what the problem is. Okay. And we've dealt this with our own kids too. Like, why does this bother them? Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not willing to do that, or if you're not willing to be challenged, um, because they, they might... In this case, someone was saying, I, I want an answer. I want to be able to defend what I believe. In another case, they might come in and they might be directly challenging what you believe. And the, the best thing that you can do initially is let someone talk, let them explain why this, why this question bothers them or why they, they think they believe this new thing. Let them get that out first because if you're not listening first, you can't actually effectively respond because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to respond to what you think the problem is as opposed to what they've actually told you is the problem. And that's one of the number one mistakes that parents do is that their, their child who they love, who loves them, has had something within their worldview shaken and they go right back to the people that they know care and love them. And instead of being met with understanding or a conversation, they're met with hostility. And now what you've just told your kid is don't come to me when you have these problems. Tina, why don't you share a little bit of your perspective on this from a mother's standpoint? I, I feel like the just... I, th I feel like the safest place to have questions and doubts should be your parents. I mean, you should be able to go to your parents. And now if your parents, if you're going to tell your kids that, oh, well, you'll understand when you're older, mm -hmm. um, it, you're not going to convince them by insulting them. You still need, you still need to be able to offer an answer and if it's an answer that you can't provide because they have stumped you, and that's going to happen sometimes, you'll be stumped. Um, you need to be willing to admit that you don't have the answer to that, but that you're going to find it. Yes. And that you're going yeah. to research and help them find the answer. Research that question together. Together, yeah, and and go into it. And that will open you up to a broader learning experience with your child You'll learn more about why you believe what you believe. I mean, if you are correct, if you're if you believe in the truth, you should never be afraid that it will be proven wrong. Right. And so you should be able to find the answers. They are yeah. there to be had. Sure. Now, if you believe something that isn't true, you need to be able to admit that you were wrong on something. Right. So this, this I I can foresee that the folks sitting at home listening to this in the car. And maybe they're soon to be parents. Maybe they are parents. Maybe they have kids in college. Maybe it's somebody Christianized age who is already out of college or maybe in college, but has a friend that they grew up with. Maybe they went to church with or elementary school or whatever, and they've gone off to college and become a lefty. I, I think, though, going back to the parents, it could be really daunting for our folks sitting at home to think that they have to become an expert in each one of these yeah. fields. Yeah, you don't. And, and and I want you to go into that. What what is the 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 
the minimal amount of information that everybody needs to learn in these areas in order to be able to, one, know that it's true, yeah. be able to defend it, and, and understand why it needs defending. Well, so, again, one thing I want to tell parents will sometimes be intimidated, like, do I got to be an expert in economics and philosophy and theology and history? And No, you don't. But you do need to know some stuff, right? Like, like you, the laws of logic. Especially when it comes down, especially when it comes to, again, part of our job as parents is equipping our kids to be able to do this. So it's it's not just feeding them, putting a roof over the head and then kicking them out of the house at 18, right? If, if you actually want to convey your values, you are going to have to put some work into understanding some of those things. Now, here's what I will say. Um, you know, again, step one was my kid comes to me with a question. Step one is listen, be, be willing to listen and don't just listen with the intent of responding. Listen with the intent of understanding, Try to understand what their perspective is, what they're going through. Because a lot of times when, when your child is asking you a question or they're challenging you something, there's an emotional component to that along with an intellectual one. And if you're not paying attention, you're not going to pick up on that. And you're going to end up responding in a way that alienates them rather than lets them know that you're someone safe to actually bring questions to. What Tina brought up the second point was absolutely critical. You're not going to be an expert on everything. Don't pretend to be, right? If you raise your kids to believe in truth over comfort, right, then when you don't know the answer and you try to make it up or you try to suggest that whatever you believe is correct because it's you that believes it, you've just reinforced them. You don't really believe in truth and you're willing to lie, them, lie to them in order to keep up the charade that you're the all-knowing, all-wise, you know, poobah of the universe. You're not. And as soon as they see you as somebody who will lie to them, they don't that, trust you. That shakes the foundation of absolutely mm -hmm. everything you've ever told them. It reinforces that postmodernist mindset that truth is relative yeah. and there is no such thing. The whole, if there's nothing that you get out of today's discussion, go read up on what postmodernism is. Oh my is. gosh, yes. Because at the end of the day, the problems that we have in the public education system at both the lower and higher level, the problems that we have within um, academia, the problems that we have within corporate America, the, pro the problems that we have within the media, it all goes back to postmodernism. Mm -hmm. As soon as you accept the, the argument that there is no such thing as absolute truth, you can be fooled into believing anything, anything. Mm -hmm. anything. And this is, I mean, I, I had, I mean, you, you guys were talking about your own perspectives as parents and I'm not a father and I'm certainly not a mother, but, um, <laughs> But like my sister comes to me all the time with these sort of questions. I remember she asked me a question about why can't we just print a whole bunch of money and solve all these problems? And I, I wanted to say, you know, I think the Federal Reserve would be looking to hire you right now. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, no, we had a long drawn out. It was mostly through text, our conversation. Yeah. And it, it was over the course of several days. And and she just kept asking these type of questions and I kept responding with answers, but I was never responding with, well, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know how, you, you know, you're asking some really stupid questions. Yeah. I or never, the peer person that told you that is an idiot. Yes. Yeah. I never tried to do that because I didn't want her to, to, you know, get the idea that I viewed her as an enemy. Yeah. And eventually I finally was able to, to explain to her why printing unlimited amounts of money is not a good thing. And she eventually went to, to the argument of, well, then why can't we just cap prices? Yeah. And then I had to explain why that was bad. But eventually I actually got her to a point where, where she was like, okay, I think I understand why printing money is not going to solve all of the problems that we have right yeah. now. And I was only able to achieve that because I was able to demonstrate to her that no, no, there is an objective 
reality that will play out. If you do X, Y will happen. It's yeah. not if I do X, Z yeah. might happen, but for you, it might be Y. Yeah. It, Depending it was, on my power structure or oppressive status. like and, yeah. and I mean, part of the ability for me to do that was because I'm so in love with history. So I could point yeah. to so many examples to her and demonstrate no matter where you were in time and space, the same outcome kept happening over and over again if you printed boatloads of money. We're actually about to put out a Y minute on this. But um, the reason that I bring this up is because I know that we keep saying you're not supposed to be an expert in everything. That is technically true. Nobody's going to be an expert in everything. But you do, do not be surprised when your children or your siblings or your friends don't believe what you believe if you don't even know why you believe what you believe. Yeah. It's Same. not enough to just be a conservative because that's what the culture is. Yeah. It's not enough to be a Christian because that's what the culture is. It's not enough to believe in whatever it is that socialism is bad without actually knowing what socialism is. Yeah. If you just hold these views because that's what you were brought up with and that's what everybody around you believes because you live in, say, a rural southern state mm-hmm. and so everybody is a conservative Christian – and then your kid goes off and lives in New York City. If you yourself doesn't don't understand why you believe X, Y, and Z, how are you supposed to? Well, it's it's not a reasonable expectation to put on your kids. If you don't know why you believe it, what? Why do you have any right to expect that they should know why they believe it? It also plays into the the fact that a lot of times kids will see their parents as a hypocrite. Yeah. Um, because. When they're talking to other people, they'll spout out whatever it is that they believe and, and everything else. But then at home, it's a, it's really different. And they see a whole different conversation and, and a whole different different way of, of approaching these subjects. You know, and so um, I do think that I mean, just being consistent is really, really important. If you believe something, you need to show it all the way through, yeah. you know, through your life. Yeah. You, it can't be, oh, well you know, doing this is, is bad, but it's okay if I cheat on my taxes or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, it's not, it's not okay. Um, and so if you're going to make a truth claim, you better treat it like it's true for you true. too. No, you, you gotta, you gotta live it out. And I think that it, and what's, what's interesting is again, this is the part that I really want to hammer home when you don't live it out or when you make up an answer, when you don't really know it, or when you get hostile, when they ask a challenging question, you are reinforcing the postmodernist belief that there's no such thing as truth and everything is determined by power structure. That's what you're doing. Because the moment it was, well, I thought you said this was true. Well, well, no, I'm in charge and it's because I say so. You haven't given them truth. You've given them power structure. The moment you say, do what I want, or you're going to go to your room, you haven't given them truth. You've given them power structure. Here's the irony. So, so all of this is yeah, again. You're hardwiring the, them. The, the left, right, the left, right now. The entire narrative that they're pushing through CRT, through critical, um, through critical theory, all of it is based off of there is no truth, there is no reason. It is all about power structures, oppressor and oppressed, and you are reinforcing that. When you treat your kids this way, when they challenge something or they ask you a question. There's a big difference between your child trusting you and your child accepting what you say. Yeah. There's a very big difference. And and if you can't, you have to have that trust. And in order to have that trust, what you say has to be true. And you have to know why it's true. Well, the good news is, if you're struggling with what is true, we have a great podcast for you called Making the Argument with Nick Freitas that you can listen to on <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday. But, Nick, we got to move on here. Uh, let's go to the argument section and make the argument for us on this. Okay, so let me sum all this up. 
right? Right now, your kids are not just going through a process where they're starting to question your faith or they're starting to question your politics. They're actually being taught to question the entire concept of objective truth, right, of objective morality. And this is why the end result is so much different than what you've seen in the past, where it's like, oh, when my kid, they're going through a phase. If, if you can actually get someone to change a fundamental commitment to the belief that there is such a thing as objective truth, and you can convince them that everything is about power structure, well, then no, they're not necessarily going to come back to what you believe once they start experiencing reality. So it's very, very important to know what you believe, why you believe, and to be able to defend it. Now, there's a couple of things right off the bat that I, we, I want to guard you against, which is the sum of what we've already talked about. First of all, prescription is not the answer once your kid gets to a certain age where they actually have the cognitive ability to ask questions. You need to be able to go through and logically explain to them why something is a particular way or why you believe something in a particular way. You can't just say, because I said so. Secondly, if you do create an environment where everything is because you said so, you haven't then you haven't taught them how to think or even what to believe. What you've taught them is authority determines what's correct. The person with the power gets to determine what's correct. And I got news for you. That is what the left is teaching right now. They're teaching that everything is about these power dynamics, whether it's racial or whether it's economic. And so if you do believe that there is such a thing as truth, then you have to reinforce that with your behavior and the way that you interact with your kids. The other thing is anger versus engagement, right? If every time they come to you, you get angry with them or you get hostile with them because quite frankly, you're too busy or you've got too many things on your plate or you feel betrayed because now they're spouting off something that you didn't teach them, right? Again, they're no longer going to see you as a safe person to come and talk to. Right, so that begs the question, if those are all the things not to do, what should you do? And that's where I go into this. Take the time to explain and question. When they come to you with a problem or when they come to you with an issue, whether it be religious or whether it be economics or whether it be political or philosophical, you have to take time to listen to what they're actually asking you. Because like I said, there's not just an intellectual component to most of those questions. There's usually also an emotional component. There might also be a social component. That question that they're asking you might have very little to do with the overall you know, inflationary monetary policy. It might have more to do with the social interactions that they're having within their university right now and how it's affecting them. So make sure you hear them out and let them explain and don't interrupt them when they're doing it because they're going to give you the key to properly answer the question. Secondly, a key component of value, teaching your kids to value truth is that when they come back and challenge you or when they come back and ask you a question, you don't know the answer, right? You need to tell them, I don't know the answer to that, but you know what I'm going to find out because what you've just told them is, is that the truth is not the truth because you said so. The truth is the truth because it's, it reflects reality. And if you need to do a little bit more research, then you're going to do it because you value truth and you value them. And you want to make sure that you're giving them accurate information. This helps build that trust that when they come to you for an answer, they're going to get a good one, not just prescription. The other key component of that is that if you, the moment, again, the moment you don't do that, you, you lose that trust. And that's going to be, that's going to be a major component because if you're no longer accepting truth or truth is just what you say it is because you're the authority figure, you have reinforced the narrative that they're being taught, right? That it's authority and power that determines what's true, not objective reality. And then finally this, you have to be willing not only to listen, not only willing to say, I will research that if I don't know the answer, you have to be willing to say, I was wrong if you're wrong. And I, and I can tell you right now, if you can reinforce this at actually an early age with your kids, that when they are actually correct about something and you're wrong, now, again, they should still do it respectfully. You should still maintain that respectful dynamic with your kids. 
But if they do that and you say, you know what, I was wrong, you're right, thank you for bringing that up, you have taught them in that moment one of the most important lessons you ever can, and that is, if authority's wrong, challenge it. Do not accept it. You need to challenge it. You might need to do it respectfully. There might be a process to do it. But you have, you have reinforced in one of the most powerful ways you possibly can that you believe in truth and that you want your kid to stand up for it and that you will reward them when they stand up for it. If you can do those things, then you will, you will begin to raise your child in such a way to where they will know what they believe, they will know why they believe it, and they will feel confident to be able to defend it in a culture and especially in an educational system, which is increasingly showing up to oppose it. And if you can do that, if you can do it successfully, I promise you, you will like the results. And because not only will it affect the relationship that you have with your kids, but they will be far more confident going out into a world which is increasingly becoming hostile to what it is that we believe. All right. Nick, where can folks on do a little bit of reading on this and get some more resources? So again, we, we talked about some of this, um, you know, uh, again, I, I'm a Christian. And so when it comes to worldview, you know, scripture is, is the yeah. foundation of my worldview. And so it's important to understand that, but it's also important to, to actually equip them with good, uh, you know, apologetics and thinkers to be able to effectively answer some of the most difficult questions that they're going to get. Another thing that I always think is, is valuable to teach your kids. And, and if your kids are really young, because sometimes it's like, well, how do we have these discussions with young kids? Tuttle twins actually has some great oh, yeah. books on this. Um, but the laws of logic, understanding the laws of logic, the law of identity, the law of excluded middle, the law of non-contradiction. This is so critical and it's so basic. You don't got to be a philosophy expert, but you should understand the laws of logic because it's going to allow you to equip your kids to be able to, to, to engage in sound reasoning. And if you can get them committed to that idea that, hey, there is such a thing as truth, and here's one of the processes that we use to arrive at truth, like that good laws of logic, sound reasoning, then when they start hearing garbage, they will formulate the questions. They right. will start to ask the questions. And then now all of a sudden, you've again, you've you've kind of vaccinated them against, you know, I know I'm sorry, I know vaccinations can be a, a touchy issue, but you will- Inoculated. You we'll will be, inoculated. yeah, you will have inoculated your kids. All with, right, with, now we're going to have a label at good, the floor. You <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Here comes with good, with good intellectual reasoning and good intellectual thought process. Um, so again, Tuttle Twins is a good one. As your kids get older, uh, Thomas Sowell is a great reference. Uh, Bastiat, as you're, again, as you're a parent and you're looking for, hey, I don't, I, I'm working two jobs. I got to put dinner on the table. I got to do all this, this stuff. I don't have time to look at, great. Then, then there's some really easy resources you can use. Thomas Sowell is a big one. Frederick Bastiat is another one. Milton Friedman, if you're looking at um, you know, other philosophical thinkers, I think Jordan Peterson oh, yeah. uh, has, has a, a lot of great things to say on this. Um, you know, People like William Lane Craig, Greg Bonson. These are all good thinkers that when you've got that time in the car, instead of listening to the radio, turn on one of these podcasts and just take some time to, to listen to these arguments so that you have some... You not only, it's not, again, you don't even got to memorize the whole argument, yeah. but know where to go when the question's asked and know where to point other people to when the question's asked. Well, Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, is great for young men as well. Yeah. I like it. All right, moving on to our speakeasy section. Uh, let's put our money where our mouth is. Nick and Tina, what's the biggest failure and biggest success in applying your <laughs> own principles to your kids? Oh, my gosh. Um. That's a hard question. Oh, I already talked about one of the successes you of my, my oldest daughter. We're, we're tied on time, so we'll keep it short. Uh, yeah. So, man, there's been there's been a ton of times when, again, I've been stressed, I've been busy, and you know, my kid comes, especially when they're little and they kind of come with questions that, like, 
daddy, what's your favorite color? Like in the middle of like, I'm, I have to get this proposal out. Right. But you know, in, in that, in that moment where they've wanted to ask a question, they've wanted to talk about something. I've been so busy, so stressed out that I didn't recognize that the simple question they were asking me was actually a much bigger one. Um, that it, it, that it was, it was connected to something that they were going through with a, a friend or, um, and so that that's that's the problem is when they it, it keen in and each kid has kind of their own like little way of showing you that something's important. I mean, I think the hardest question I've ever been faced with was when Lily came in with her algebra two book and said, <laughs> when am I ever going to use this in my life? Never. <laughs> and there. that was algebra two. That wasn't even that yeah. wasn't even calculus or anything. Yeah. And uh I could not give her an answer because nothing she wanted to do in her future was actually going mm -hmm. to cause her to need to use that Shame. necessarily. Shame. And uh, so in that case, I, I had to default to there's a basic uh, amount of knowledge that you need to be able to demonstrate that you have a handle on in order to graduate and move on. Yeah. And you may or may not use this in the future. Now, geometry you use a lot. I mean, I use it a lot. Yeah. I used it a lot to when I this built table. this table. This table. Um, but, um, you know, my our son loves to fabricate, loves to build things. And so geometry is is heavily used there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think I, I think Allie will probably have to use um, a lot of the higher math. maths. Yeah. She, she wants to, to veterinarian be a work. veterinarian. I, I think, uh, honestly, probably the biggest failure that I've had so far that I've like recently been convicted of, um, other than just not being able to spend enough like seriously quality time. Because sitting down together and watching a movie together might be nice, but it's not super quality. You time. just used Christian speak. You said, I, I've been convicted of. You're going to yeah, have to explain to our... Convicted of? Yeah, you need to oh. explain what being convicted well, actually mean, means I mean, in, in to people like who are not Christian. Christian lingo or whatnot, it just means that you've done something that you, you know you know is incorrect that you now feel mm -hmm. bad about um it's it's what um it, it's it's what you watch within your household or what you listen to in the car when your kids mm -hmm. are there or, or really anytime because even if you're if you're watching or listening even when your kids aren't there so if you're you know you're you're watching a show that's like dropping the f-bomb all the time or something like that even if your kid's not in the room, it's still affecting the way that you think about things and you process things. And I know when I'm watching more of that, I'm far more likely when I drop the hammer on my foot um, to, to not, <laughs> to it not respond. It is weird. Why are those words right on way? the tip of your tongue? Even if you never, I mean, I made a decision when I was a kid, a teenager, not to use bad language. I had one side of my family that used a ton of language um, whether the kids were there or not. Yeah. And then I had another side of my family that did not use that language. Mm -hmm. And I had to, at one point, make a choice as to what I would do going mm -hmm. forward with regard to my language. And what's really interesting is, you know, when the pigs get out and you're knee deep in mud <laughs> and they're pushing you over because they want the food that you're trying to give them yeah. and you're trying to get them back in. Um, there are certain words that even if you have never said them <laughs> in the past decade will come flowing yeah. out if you're not careful. I mean, boy, you got to well, really when I, when I first went into hold the, it I, in. didn't, I didn't like cuss a lot in high school or stuff like that. But when I first went into the army, um, along with your uniform and your rifle, they issue you the F word. And, um, <laughs> And uh, it, it took it took a uh, it took a while to you know and, and again I I feel bad about that right that's not a good thing I'm not like but 
it, it was just very, very common. Like you couldn't sit through a class on anything without the F-bomb being dropped several times. But what, I, what we've noticed now, and Tina brought this up, uh, obviously we, we consume a lot of social media because mm-hmm. what we do is on social media and we have to mm-hmm. interact with social media. And like more and more you'll be watching, like even if you're saying, all right, I'm going to cancel this subscription or I'm not no. going to watch these or I'm going to do that. Flipping through TikTok? Honestly, I TikTok is the worst. Oh, I, I, was watching, I was on TikTok last night and was watching this video, laughing my butt off at yeah. it. Kept, watched it two or three times and then realized that in this one video... There were the F word was used four and five times, yeah. and it's I, TikTok. I, I that's said like a forty second video. Yeah, and well, I sat yeah. there and thought, I my brain didn't catch any yeah. of this. And I even have I TikTok. It. If if I look at TikTok, I have it set to restricted mode. I don't want oh, really? anything. Yeah, I don't. I don't want bad language and and bad content to come yeah. through. So I yeah. have it on restricted mode, and I still get uh, and I feel like I'm getting accosted by yeah. whatever it is because yeah. I wasn't intending to listen to something like that and it just smacks you right in the face and the, to the point where I don't think I've opened TikTok well, in a long time. It's unfortunate it's the platform that uh, Nick you found the most success on and also, initially. Yeah also. Yeah. Well pop- until they completely throttled you. Well they, they, that was the other for thing. For talking that, about masks. That was the other thing I did not understand about TikTok is because I, I had been on it. We, I mean, we were over 200,000 followers yeah. and because we had engaged so much, um, both with our content, with other, you know, content creators and whatnot, yeah. my feed looked a certain way. Yeah. It was and, very curated. Yeah. And my feed looked a certain way. And then all of a sudden they throttled us and we said, okay, well, have they throttled us or is uh, like, are just people not like in our, yeah. Co- yeah, what's going on? So we said, okay, let's open up a second account. And then like instantly our videos were back up to high views and we're like, okay, they yeah. throttled over a hundred K when you're scrolling TikTok, If you even linger on a video, it knows, yeah, it well, yeah. knows yeah. whether you've watched that video all the way through, okay, or if you flipped it, really, I made really that fast. mistake once with a cat video. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. I, I, I like I was distracted. I, I was yeah. you know I on my phone. I all the cat I videos. Held, I love cat videos. And I held it on you know because I was like talking to somebody, and so I had my phone still on at the time, and it was just hovering over a cat video. I, I can't get rid of cat videos now. Oh, like, so I just, but you're not on TikTok. I, I, you're <laughs> talking no, about on other Facebook. Things. Like, well, first off, it is on TikTok too, but yeah. um, that's a big issue with me on Facebook and yeah. on YouTube. I just get endless State cat videos, videos now. and cat videos. And yeah. I there's this there's this like beef jerky ad yeah. that I cannot <laughs> get rid of on Facebook. So it's so I, I would say that again, going back to what we were saying before, it's the whole idea of you know things that we've been successful on is. Um, a big part too is how we interact as, as a husband and wife in front of our kids because our kids are also learning what to expect out of future relationships yep. by the way we interact with one another. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the biggest success I or one of the you know one of the things I can look back on and say you know what I, I think I did it right there was again that one of the first times when my oldest daughter came to me and said you know hey daddy you said this I don't think that was right and having to admit that she was wrong and then praising her for it like no I'm glad I'm glad you brought this to my attention you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it that way. Um, because I, I think that reinforced a lot of things. Biggest failure is that it's still this idea that it's so easy to just pick up, you know, things that are entertaining and, and let it, and not understand that there is a worldview coming through in that song you're listening to and that mm-hmm. TikTok that you're watching yep. and that movie that you're viewing and that your kids are picking up on that. And if you're telling them that this is not a good way to do it, well then why are you reinforcing mm-hmm. the opposite with respect to how you spend your yeah. time. Well, there's a lot of these things where, I mean, gosh, 
you wouldn't invite these people into your home to do this in front of you in their li- in your living room live. Yeah. So why would you invite them yeah. through a screen? And this is, and this isn't being like the old fuddy duddy, right? It's like right. I, I get it, right? No, but, but you're buying what they're selling, yeah. and that's what you need to yeah, recognize. Okay, boomer. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, groomer. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's I, I think it's it's important to keep that all in mind. So all right. I think that's uh, it's about all the time we have today. I want to thank you for joining us. We went over a lot of topics here. Please leave us some comments in there. If you got some Please different do. questions for us, let us know because we'll go on to that comment section. We try to get through there and, and make sure that we're responding to some of those questions. Another thing I want to point out, and again, I got to I get the give the credit to my beautiful wife, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Um, she's actually gone through, and you'll notice, because we've had some people say, hey, Nick, I like the show, but you know, I don't always got an hour. Sometimes I just want to get to the point where what's the argument you're making? Tina has actually broken down all these podcasts now into chapters. On so, the YouTube channel. On the YouTube channel, if there's a particular thing that you just want to see, you want to get to, you want to know, okay, what's the argument? What's, what's the response I have? I always put the argument in all bold. Because we, we always do that. It's like a three to five minute explanation of, here's how you respond to X. You can go right to that chapter. You can view that on our YouTube channel. So please take advantage of that. And then if you like that, uh, leave a leave a comment for Tina saying how much you appreciate all of her contributions to the show. Once Very again, thank you. For her. Once again, thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. And we will see you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.